0: Well, this morning we're going to conclude our series, Fish Face. And this morning I want to talk with you a message entitled, Off the Hook. I want you to take the Bibles and I want you to turn to Luke, the 8th chapter. Luke, chapter 8. I'll tell you about an experience that I had yesterday afternoon. Yesterday afternoon, I was, I was leaving the church. I'd been here just to encourage and, and thank everybody that was here helping with the cleanup effort, and cleaning up all the brush and the things that needed to be taken care of here on campus and putting out all the things that we had taken in to make sure they wouldn't blow away. And, uh, and as I was leaving, I got over uh, just west of I-4, uh, getting ready to turn on Edgewater Drive when in front of me the car that was in front of me pulled out into traffic uh, and, uh, and had a, a pretty pretty horrific collision with a, a, a car that was traveling eastbound down Edgewater Drive and uh, I stopped got out of my car went and made sure uh, that the people in the first vehicle that they were okay and, and then I went to the second vehicle the, the first vehicle was hit hard enough that it came off the road the second vehicle was still in the middle of the road and and I went, and uh, the passenger door was stuck open. The front of the car was gone, and uh, saw this young woman uh, named Georgia. I said, uh, "Hi there, are you okay?" And she said, "I'm not sure." I said, "Well, uh, my name's Ed. I, I just want to just want to make sure. Is there anything that I can do to help you?" And she says, "My name's Georgia. I." I uh, I think my arms hurt. I I think I'm okay. I'm I'm pretty shook. And then she said something that was interesting to me. It was interesting to me because I had heard this statement before. Four years ago, I was visiting one of the campuses of the church that I was pastoring at that time in Elgin, Illinois, and I was taking our staff to lunch, and right in front of me there was a head-on collision. And in that situation as well, I got out of my vehicle, was calling 911 and they asked me to see if anyone needed an ambulance. And so I was going to the different vehicles and, and I got over to one of the vehicles and there was a young man in the passenger seat. His name was David. And I said, David, are you okay? And he looked okay from, from the, just the untrained eye. In fact, he had massive internal injuries. But he was sitting there and he was just kind of shaking a little bit and he said this. He said, this is not how I imagined my day going. And Georgia said the exact same thing. She said, this is not how I imagined my day going. This is not at all what I expected. There are times in life that life doesn't go as we plan, that life doesn't go as we expect. In Luke chapter 8 we're introduced to a man by the name of Jairus. Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum. Capernaum is a a fishing village. It's on the the north coast of the Sea of Galilee. And at the time of Jesus, this fishing village it it would have been a town of about 1500 people. It's a pretty good assignment as a synagogue ruler. You don't have the the, the busyness, the hustle and bustle of Jerusalem. Jerusalem would have been over 600,000 at that time. You don't have the craziness of, of, of Jericho and all the people coming through. No. Capernaum was a, it was a village that was, it was big enough that the things that you needed were there. But it was small enough that life was manageable. Life was good. And for Jairus, being a ruler in the synagogue... Life had gone just as he planned. Just as he expected. In time, he and his wife gave birth to a little girl. The apple of his eye, a bundle of joy. And they they watched her go from from infant to toddler. To that little helper running around. And, And now... She's 12 years of age. It's a big moment in their culture. It's the moment that they celebrate a young girl becoming a young woman. Now no longer is she mom's little helper. Oh, no, no, now now she can step into full responsibility. It's it's the moment that Jairus has been waiting for. It's, It's the moment that his wife, this girl's mother, has been waiting for. And it's, it's a source of joy for Jairus, his daughter, which is good because life has been challenging lately. Because in Jairus' life, that was carefully planned, methodically laid out, there was a, a twist. In the plot. And that twist came with this Nazarene that had shown up. Capernaum was a it was a it was a quiet town, it was an easy town, and until this, until this man Jesus arrived. And, and people started talking about this Jesus. They, there, there was a, a meeting where Jesus is teaching. And in the midst of this meeting, a a group of men are up on the roof and they're tearing through a a thatched roof and they, they, they lower a man who is lame on a bed in front of Jesus. Scripture tells us that the religious leaders of the day were there at that meeting. They were curious to see what this character Jesus would be speaking about. And Jesus looks at the man and says your sins are forgiven and the religious leaders and it's quite possible that Jairus was among them said, what gives you the authority to say that? And he says, well, just, just to where you understand, rise up. And, and, and this, this, this lame man gets up and walks. The centurion's servant is healed. Peter's mother-in-law is healed. Over and over again, you, you have all these all these remarkable events that are, that are happening in Capernaum. Why? Here's the reason why. Matthew 4.13 tells us this, that Jesus came from Nazareth to Capernaum and, and during his earthly ministry, Jesus called Capernaum home. It was his home base for ministry. It's also, it was, it was the home of Peter and Andrew. It was the home of James and John. It was the home of Matthew, the tax collector. Five of Jesus' disciples came from Capernaum. So they knew that something significant was happening. And as a synagogue ruler, having this this new teacher in town, having this guy that's doing the miraculous right and left, it's kind of upset his system. It's kind of upset his program. Jesus was, at the very least, a distraction for Jairus. An annoyance. Right? Because Jesus... He he, he consistently conflicted with the religious rulers of the day. Why? Because Jesus upset the norm. And the last thing you would find is Jairus spending time with Jesus. Until his 12-year-old daughter, his only daughter, the apple of his eye, she becomes ill. Jairus and his wife, they, they tend to their little girl. They get her what medicine is available. They get down on their knees beside her bed and they pray. And at some point in, in, in my perspective on the this story, this, this isn't laid out in Scripture. It's just kind of my thought on, on what I perceive to happen. Jairus' wife says to Jairus, Jairus, this this man Jesus, I I don't know what he's about, but he he heals people. Jairus, you've got to go to Jesus. I can't begin to imagine the internal conflict that Jairus is going through, right? Right? As a religious leader, no doubt he's, he stood in opposition to Jesus. As, a, as, as a, a synagogue ruler, no doubt he's been frustrated by the commotion that Jesus has created. And, and he's often said to himself and maybe sometimes out loud, I, I wish this Jesus character would just go away because he has messed up my planned life. This is not how I plan things to go. But now he faces a bigger deviation from his plans, and that is this. He, he did not plan to, to have a sick daughter. And he painfully watches as her illness becomes more and more severe. And he reaches the point where it's no longer time for debate or diplomacy. Because he's reached the point now where it's desperation. And so scripture tells us that he comes to Jesus and he pleads with Jesus. This isn't a a professional courtesy. It it isn't a, a casual request. It's... It's crunch time. It's, it's desperation time. He's, he's tried everything else. He's, he's, he's looked at every other alternative. And, and there is no hope. This isn't the way that he planned it. Not at all. And yet he, he finds himself at the critical juncture. Life, more often than we care to admit, life does not go as we plan. I mean, we've got our ideas, we, we've got our agendas, we've got our philosophies. We embrace our program, but then there's a bend in the road. There's a a storm we did not anticipate. There's a difficulty that is just just too big. And that's where Jairus finds himself. He finds himself at that place of desperation. And in desperation, he he goes to Jesus. And Scripture tells us this, that he comes to Jesus and he falls at Jesus' feet. Friends, that's when you know pretense is gone, right? Right? Jairus is a major influencer in the community. He's a powerful politician in Capernaum. He is the ruler of the synagogue. But at this point, his position doesn't matter. At this point, his prestige doesn't matter. At this point, all of his resource doesn't matter because all that he can bring offers no hope to this desperation of a dying daughter. Here's what you can be confident of is this. Is God has no anxiety of dealing in desperation. He is not thrown. He is not worried. Here's what we have to do. Let me give you to you quickly this morning. No, number one is this. When we find ourselves in, in, those, in those impossible situations, how do we do this? How, how do we get off the hook? Here's, here's how we do it. Number one is this. Is it's, it's important that we acknowledge the difficulty. That we acknowledge the difficulty, and, and here's what it tells us in, 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 in Luke the eighth chapter. It says, and then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter was dying. Mark, the fifth chapter tells us that Jairus said this, "My little daughter is dying. please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live." One of the things that's interesting to me is I've, I've heard this said. In fact, I, 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 I've even had my, my parents tell me this. When I was struggling with sickness, they've said, oh, don't say that you're sick because you're speaking that into existence. You know what I find? I find this. Throughout Scripture, those who were dealing with sickness didn't go, I'm not sick. Right? Here's what they did. They, they said, I'm sick. I want to be healed. Right when, when Jesus came to blind Bartimaeus, did Bartimaeus say to him, "Well, you know what, by faith, brother, I'm healed. No, here's what he said. When Jesus asked Bartimaeus a question, what do you want me to do for you? He says, I want to see. I want these blind eyes to be opened. Friend, saying that you're not sick when you are is not faith, it's denial. Let me say that again. Saying that you're not sick when you are is not faith, it's denial. It's very important that we acknowledge the difficult, that we acknowledge what we're going through. Jairus did not pretend that there was nothing wrong with his little girl, he acknowledged the desperation of the moment. Notice what he says. My little daughter is dying. Please, come and put your hands on her. That she will be healed and live. He he didn't engage in a theological discourse. He didn't ask Jesus how he would do it. just said, here's the reality of where I'm at. Jesus, won't you you step into my world? Here's what I'm confident of. That all across this room, There are those of us that we are at a place in life where it is not going as we plan. And we've had the debates and we've engaged in the diplomacy, but now we find ourselves at a place of desperation. And let me encourage you with this undeniable truth, and that is this, that God has brought you here this morning to give you just a window into his heart and a window into his love. And he wants you to see through the story of Jairus and the story of Jairus' daughter that God understands, knows where you're at, and if you will just Extend the invitation to him to step into your day, to step into your situation. That's what he wants to do. Jairus, he he acknowledged the difficulty, but he didn't just acknowledge the difficulty. He brings the issue to Jesus, right? He comes and he falls at Jesus' feet. It's interesting to me that Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. 12 years. 12 years they've enjoyed the blessing of this little girl. When Jairus comes to Jesus and he, he talks about this, this change that's happened, this, this shift In life. He's not the only one. He's not the only one facing desperation. There's a there's a woman there as well. And about about the time Gyrus's Little girl breathed her first breath. This woman was stepping from childhood into adulthood. Jairus' daughter has known 12 years of blessing and now she's facing a momentary challenge. This woman has lived 12 years with her difficulty. And here's what I want you to notice. If you're here today and you've faced 12 years of blessing, but now there's become a shift, Jesus is able to reach into your situation. But hold on. If you've been walking this journey for years, his hand is not short. His eye is not closed. His ear is not deaf. And whether your difficulty is something that's new to you or something that you've been carrying for years, for a lifetime, the same Jesus offers hope, healing, and eternity to both. Is that big. Here's the key. It's not just acknowledging the difficulty. It's bringing the issue to God. And then here's what we have to do. We have to, we have to commit to God's plan. Right? Because in Jairus' situation, here's what happens. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' home. This woman, that Scripture calls her the woman with the issue of blood, she, she's there in the crowd and she knows this. She says, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm tired of carrying this. I'm tired of dealing with this difficulty. Twelve years, twelve years, and here's what I know. Seeing all that Jesus has done, I, 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 I heard the story of the lame man being healed. I, I, I saw Peter's mother-in-law walking down the street earlier this week. The story of the centurion's servant over and over again. I've seen what Jesus can do. You know what? I don't need to bother him if I can just reach out and and touch the, the hem of his garment. Right? And so as Jesus is on his way, she just reaches out and touches the hem of his garment and he stops. And he says, Who touched me? Can you imagine the emotion that this woman is feeling in the moment? Jesus has noticed me. This could be a really good thing. This could be a really bad thing. Right? I'm I'm not sure. This is not how I planned it. I did not plan to have an interaction with the teacher. I did not plan to have an interaction with the prophet. I did not have planned to have an interaction. Did she even know at that point that he was the Messiah? It was not how she planned it to go. Right? What was her plan? I'm just going to reach out and I'm just going to subtly touch the hem of his garment. And, and Jesus stops and says, who touched me? W- why? What's the big deal? No, 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 no. Someone's touched me because virtue. I, virtue has left me. Somebody has touched me. Turns and he acknowledges the woman. Here, here's what I love. I love this. She could have been healed without the interaction with Jesus. Right? Seriously, she could have been healed without the interaction with Jesus. But Jesus isn't just about meeting the visible need. Right? What God is about is God is about connection and he's about relationship. And so Jesus stops and he takes time with her. He talks with her. He interacts with her. And she's having this powerful moment with God. And this is, a, this is an amazing thing for her. It undoubtedly fuels anxiety for Gyrus right? His daughter is dying. Jesus is on the way. Jesus is her daughter's last hope, her daughter's only hope at this point, and he now has been detained. Boy, you talk about being in a tough situation. Jairus can't say anything because he can't sound heartless, but at the same time, he's very concerned about the issue of his daughter. And in the midst of it, He receives the news that had to shake him to the core. Jairus, your daughter has died. There's no reason to bother the teacher anymore. Jairus had a plan for life and this was not how he imagined it would go. And then when he went to Jesus, he had a plan of how Jesus would react and how this would go. And Even in this, even in his interaction with Jesus, it was not going the way that he thought it should. It was not going the way that he had planned. It was not going the way that other stories had gone. It was not going the way that he had read in scriptures. It wasn't fitting the paradigm that he thought was right. You know what I've discovered? I've discovered this that the vast majority of the time, God doesn't do it the way that I think that He's going to or the way that He should. That's irritating to me. God, do you not understand my plan? Did you not get the program? Tells us in Luke 8, Verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And hearing this, Jesus says to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Friends, that's the word for today. That's the word for you for today. Don't be afraid just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. It's time for us to set aside our our plan. It's time for us to set aside our program. It's time for us to do away with our preconceived ideas, our, our, our notions. It's time for us to put aside the the truly irrelevant teaching that we've heard on the subject over the years. Because we got caught up in formula. We have this idea that that God has to do it the the way that we think. But Isaiah 58 rings true when God speaks to the prophet and says, my ways are not as your ways. My thoughts are not as your thoughts. You know, a um, number of years ago, I, I fell off a roof while I was on a missions trip in Nicaragua. We were building a school and we were, we were laying the tin on the, on the roof, finishing, finishing off the roof. And uh, somebody behind me was moving the board that I would that I would sit. On. I would grab the tin and then I would sit back on a board and lay the tin down, and then somebody else would screw in the tin. And uh, another person was moving the board as it was running on the, the rails on the roof of. It's called the purlins. They, they were setting the, the, the board on the purlins and and um, uh, the kind of the truss work, and uh, they they didn't get the board on the top on the top ridge. It was just off the top ridge. And so when I leaned back, I had this very sharp piece of tin. And as I leaned back, the board disappeared. And, uh, and I began to fall. And I, 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 it's amazing how your mind just, things go in slow motion at that point. And I knew I was falling. I reached up and I grabbed the purlin and I pushed the tin away from me. Because I've, I've seen guys injured by that tin. It's razor sharp. I, I've seen guys get serious cuts from that stuff. And, and I, I wasn't really thinking so much about the ground as I was thinking about that sharp tin, and so I kind of shoved the tin away from me, and then and then looked. But there had been a big pile of b- bricks underneath us, and I looked down quick, and the bricks were gone. And so I went ahead and I, 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 I fell, and um, and when I fell, the actually the tin hit me, and so my first thought was I looked down to my leg, and I was I was pleased to see that my leg wasn't cut, and I thought I'm oh good, I'm fine. Until I went to get up, and it just piercing pain. Well, I'd fallen 24, 26 feet uh, onto my tailbone. It, it really, it's fortunate that I wasn't killed. It's fortunate that I wasn't paralyzed, but I did manage to break my tailbone, actually. Got back to the States and went to see my doctor and an uh, incredible guy, one of the men in our church, and he said this to me. He said, Pastor, you broke your butt. <laughs> I said, what? He goes, well, I can give you a technical term. I can give you a medical term, but he goes, you broke your butt. And he goes, listen, there's nothing we can do. He goes, that's not like we can put that in a cast, right? And uh, he said, it's going to be 18 to 24 months of a lot of pain. And you're just going to have to, he goes, get, get used to the donut. Great. You know how embarrassing it is to walk around with a donut? I mean, a crisp, not a Krispy Kreme, like a real, anyway. And, uh, and it was a few weeks later that I was, I was actually I was in a meeting, and uh, there was no choir, there was no organ, there was no setting the mood. I, I'd walked into this meeting, and at the back there were some sofas, and I was going to sit in the back, but I didn't want to be in the back. I wanted to be up close and just be able to take good notes. And so there were plastic chairs, and I decided I would sit in the plastic chair for as long as I could, and then I would move, move, move to the back or go stand or something. Because I couldn't sit for more than 10, 15 minutes without just being in just substantial pain. And so I'm sitting there, and 15 minutes goes by, no pain. 20 minutes goes by, 30 minutes, no pain. That, that first session was an hour long, no pain. No pain. And it dawned on me at the end, I said, I just sat through an entire session with no pain. And, uh, and I walked out, and as I was out, outside of the session, God spoke to me. And he said, uh, so how do you feel about your healing? So I feel pretty good about it. And he said, said, Ed, I chose to heal you at this time and in this fashion to help you to understand that I don't need some formula to touch you. I don't need a certain atmosphere. I don't need a certain simply trust in me. And that's what... Jesus said to Jairus in that moment, right? His daughter has gone from dying to dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. There's no use. She's gone. It's good that you had faith for him in the moment, but it's reached the point. Done. And Jesus' response, don't be afraid. Just believe. Okay. So, you might want to write this down. Do you want to know what's your requirement for experience the miraculous? Ready? Don't be afraid, just believe. See how simple that is? Right? Religion makes things far too complicated. We want to come up with these big formulas to try to impress. We want to create environments that try to wow. It's it's just trusting in a great big God. When I pastored in Nebraska, I had this, this woman that came. She had been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. Bobby Jo Lennefelder was her name. It still is her name. She was the wife of an employee of, of, one, of our, one of our deacons. And he called me and he said, hey, would you be willing to ma- meet with Jim and his wife? They've gotten really bad news. And the doctor said, we'll do surgery, but there's basically no hope. They said, would you be willing to pray for Bobby Joe in, in, the, in the Wednesday night service? She goes in for surgery Thursday morning. I said, absolutely. And so she came. The family came. Jim, Bobby Joe. They're young, elementary age, and preschool boys. Very little hope in an earth shattering diagnosis. And here was my prayer it's what God put in my heart to pray for her. I just said this I said, God, I pray that you would do something in Bobby Joe's life right now that would completely freak her out. No King James English, no quoting scripture, no, just God, I pray that you would do something in Bobby Joe's life right now that would just completely freak her out. And then I stood there and she said this. She said, There's a warmth that has come over me. She said, I will tell you, I'm healed. She went the next day to the hospital. They prepped her for surgery. And uh, she told the doctor, she says, I'm healed. He says, okay, but we're going to do this. And uh, she uh, was supposed to be in surgery for about six and a half hours. She was in surgery for an hour and a half. The doctors came to to she and, and Jim while she was in recovery when she woke up and they said, uh, we need to we need to apologize to you. We we don't know how to explain this, but we there was just a massive misdiagnosis. <laughs> yeah. Massive misdiagnosis, they said. What well, we thought were cancer, all we could find were these little water pockets. She's she's still cancer-free today, raising teenage teenage boys. So she's dealing with another disease, adolescence, but adolescence is is not terminal. (laughs) Acknowledge the difficulty. Bring the issue to God. Commit to God's plan. It's not going to look like your plan. And then dare God for the impossible. Trust him for the impossible. When Jesus gets to Jairus' house, the people are wailing. They're grieving the death of this 12 year old girl. And Jesus goes, She's not dead. And they laughed at him. You now, here's what amazes me these people in Capernaum, seriously, people, he, he's raised the lame. He's healed the centurion servant. He's cast out the demons. He dealt with the demoniac in the Capernaum synagogue. They've seen him do all of this. Right? But isn't it amazing how belief is so suspect? How faith is so temporary because in that current situation with a girl whose life had gone they didn't have the faith to believe they doubted so much that when Jesus said she is not dead they laughed at him by the way it speaks to the character of Jesus Jesus didn't go fine I'm out of here He just said, hold on. Just wait, wait. Just hold on. I'll be back. And he goes into the girl's room. And he says to her, little one, arise. She gets up and Jesus says, she's probably hungry. Get her something to eat. Acknowledge that. Acknowledge the difficulty. Don't deny it. Bring it to God. Whether it's been 12 minutes or 12 years. Whether it's been 12 days or 12 years. Whether it's been 12 hours or 12 years. Bring it to God. And don't tell Him how to do it. Just give it to Him. Don't explain to Him the formula. Just give it to Him. And then dare God for the impossible.